caps everywhere. Black Betha. See, I always wanted to call it Black Bertha. I wanted to call it Black Bertha, too. It, uh, it seems like George R. R. Martin is missing an R. Yes. And it's funny because he can just give it one of the R's in his name, and it's Black Bertha. He's got one to spare. He does indeed have one to spare, but Black Betha, as, as it appears to be, is the star of this chapter, notable for holding Sir Davos Seaworth on its deck for at least a good portion of today's chapter. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday. You're listening to Game of Owns. That's Eric Skull. Yes, and that is Micah Tannenbaum. Who uh, see, I've our... always wanted to do that. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's a trying new things Wednesday here with us, and uh, you know, for for sure, new things are happening in the chapter. Things are unfolding, events uh, that you know have been alluded to and have been foreshadowed and feared by all of our characters uh, since this book began. The clash between Stannis Baratheon and King's Landing and the Lannisters is finally underway. We saw it a little bit on Monday with Sansa's chapter. And what I like about this is that these uh, series of chapters, starting with Sansa, uh, you know, going into Davos, continuing with Tyrion, I know for sure, and at least probably another chapter after that, are all about this Battle of Blackwater. So it's not something that's just done, you know, over quick. Um, it's going on. It's a big part of the book. And we knew that. Um, it did get its whole own episode on the TV series. But um, really just the scale of of everything as it appears in the book, even as you're reading the chapter, and Davos knows these ships that are in Stannis' fleet, and he names them all. And you're just like, holy moly, these, this guy's got a lot of ships, and they have four times as many as the Lannisters. You're just like, oh, well, clearly they'll outnumber. Clearly they'll win the battle. But somehow, they'd managed to put up a good fight, and this is what makes for engrossing reading in the book. It's a chapter that we've all been looking forward to, and we'll get back to it right after the break. No, uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to say that, too. That's, oh, that's now two things in one episode. But what I really enjoyed about this chapter, and we do get to see, as you mentioned, a good portion of it in the television series, quite possibly something that doesn't make it to screen, and that is the knowledge that Sir Davos has about not only the ships, but all of King's Landing, and really... There's, there's this foreboding sense throughout the course of this chapter that Davos is slowly picking up on what is going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that we're going to get into, but I just was really impressed. And, and I walked away from this chapter thinking about how the others that he is fighting alongside would have tremendously benefited from having him lead this charge because I think it would have had a vast different outcome if he would have been the one who would have led this siege on King's Landing. Well, that analysis is, you know, provided within the chapter as well because Davos was present at the uh, council, which was, which was on the, the ship. What's the ship? The great ship um, where the battle plans took place on. I keep, it's a fury, isn't it? Isn't that Emery Florence's uh, ship? 
The Fury? Yes. Okay. So Florent, the guy who is leading the battle, um, hosted the party. He said, everybody come over here. We're going to talk battle plans. And uh, Imri, if I can call him that, we're, we're kind of on a first name basis, he and I, um, wants to do the, the good old, like, show up, you know, blunt force, rush in and, and, and batter you know, everybody as hard as you can. And, but Davos, you know, and in this chapter, he says, look, uh, what I thought would have been better is if we kind of snuck in or sent a few scouting ships ahead to really see what awaits us. And the interesting thing about the TV series is, you know, I, I don't think in this chapter in the book, it doesn't mention like it being a really overly foggy night. So the lead up and, and sort of the surprise, the fact that, Stannis's um navy is is being taken by surprise happens entirely differently um and again it is with all within Davos's head uh which makes it different but it's not overly foggy the situation is just that there's quite a long ways to go and Davos is passing you know these 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 parts that he knows because he was a smuggler he knows King's Landing better than anybody else i agree he would have been I mean, he's great to have in the battle, even if he isn't the main guy behind planning it. But he sees, for instance, the two towers on either side of the mouth of, of, of Blackwater Bay. And he is like, okay, we're, we're here. And the more I look closely, the more I realize they've dug some trenches. These towers are not going to be very easy to siege by land or to seize by land. So what's going on? And then he looks closer and he sees these chains, these chain links. And that's something that we often hear people complain about who have read the book and have seen the television series. They thought leaving out the chain really did a, a disservice to the amount of planning that Tyrion put into trapping Stannis's fleet inside of Blackwater Bay. Well, I do and I don't like what happens in the show because – as we see in the series, though, there, well, I, there are some survivors we see in the chapter. Um, there do not appear to be near as many survivors uh, from the episode in the show. Um, I mean, Davos himself, thank God. Um, I mean, I think we ended up, though, even giving I, – I ended up giving Davos my own for the season um, because of his character arc in season three. When he shows up, he's on the rock, shirtless, just survived Blackwater. Hello. He's like the lone survivor. Um, unless you count Salador San, who in the book is in this battle, and in the TV show, I don't think he was. Or if he was, he was behind. Um, but that's like it is in the book, I guess. He's, he's behind the, the chain. Um, but anyway, him, the, the, the point is, Davos noticing this chain, he's not on Sir Florence's ship at the time. It's too late. You know, they've already planned to go in past these towers, past this chain, and it's not raised. And he's like, well, that's weird, because that could bar us out pretty easily. If it were raised, they're not using it. Hmm. And he, he kind of doesn't think any further about it because they're about to, you know, run up against the king's navy. Um, but it certainly is important to know, and it's important to notice, and notice it all too well. Uh, the rest of Stannis's fleet does once events set in. It's it's difficult at times though to read through this because you know inevitably what's coming, and Davos. <laughs> You touched on this a little bit. He recognizes that they probably should have sent out an advance guard just to test the waters and 
pun intended. <laughs> but there's nothing to say that Tyrion or any of the Lannisters would have bid on that. But if you would have sent out some kind of a scout, I wonder if they would have been able to walk away with a bit more information going into it. Because when you're laying siege to anywhere, you want to make sure that since you're on the offensive as opposed to the defensive, that you are taking every precaution possible and that you're putting yourself in the best position possible. And and even very early on in this chapter, Davos notes that he didn't want to attack via Blackwater. He thinks it's a bad idea. And, and just in and of itself, seeing what they have to deal with, I mean, they're counting on the fact that a vast majority of their ships are going to make it to shore. But, you know, when, when you are in the water and you have people who are throwing stones down on you into wood that will easily break apart, you know, at, at very high speeds, when you have flaming arrows flying and wood burns, you know, you're, you're floating on a, on a vehicle that is easily destroyed by any of the previous things that we've we've talked about (laughs) and it's not a smart battle tactic and you have to wonder how could somebody who really is as smart as Stannis not take anything like this into consideration especially because there's that moment when Davos was he he notes and I sorry for using that word but I can't think of anything else wildfire he knew about it. Well, okay, I'll stop. Let me stop you right there. There's a bunch of things you just said that it, that I do want to comment on here. I don't, uh, but of course, the train uh, outside my window takes precedence, so we'll allow it to go its own way. You know, the first, th- the first of which, Micah, I don't think they're vulnerable at all. I mean, yes, a lot of rocks are coming. Actually, there's more. I, I want to count how many times chunks of wood fly at Davos or around Davos. Or like in the water because these ships are getting destroyed. But I don't think it would have stopped them from assaulting the way that they did because they do have four times the boats as King Joffrey. And that's really what it comes down to is even sending a a guard ahead, you know, just a few ships. I don't think they would have wasted the Blackwater on them. You know, the very few ships that Joffrey's fleet does have probably would have been able to deal with any small group of scouts that were sent ahead. Um, you know, if, if, if at least there, there does appear to be this fighting that, that happens. These do, these ships do see combat, you know, which is, I think it's different from, you know, the show where they just kind of show up in the bay. It's way too foggy to see. They see the land. They're like, where are all the boats? And all of a sudden, boom. Well, this time they're actually met by opposition, you know, in the books, they're met by this opposition. And, you know, we find out essentially that, that King's Landing is, is sending these men to their death. But I think that the fact – like right at the moment in this chapter when Davos is getting suspicious is when his attention is turned to the king's ships, which they finally do see coming at them. And it was really the job of King Joffrey's navy to you know, keep these guys engaged and, and so that Stannis' uh, fleet would continue to be – to keep coming essentially. It's, it's like you, you know they were getting suspicious. But the fact that they then saw Joffrey's fleet and were beginning to ram them and do battle really allowed for the maximum amount of 
casualties to cross that that line of of chains, which again isn't in the show, but you you know what I'm saying? Like they they actively kind of went out and and drew them in, and so that makes it kind of more uh well more interesting. Um, but lives were lost on the Lannister side quite quite a bit more in the water. Well, it is a good point that you bring up because I think that if the waters had just kind of sat still and nothing had emerged from the Lannister's end, then red flags definitely would have been raised. And it's quite possible that, as you touched upon, all of Stannis' fleet would not, or most of, we're talking probably, what, 85-90% of it, mm-hmm. minus Salador San, would not have come that far uh, into Blackwater Bay because it, it, it would have been extremely, extremely suspicious. But even Davos asks, you know, where is Lionstar? Where's Lady Lyanna? Where is King Robert's hammer? Where are all of these ships that really defined mm. King Robert as well as, as the Lannisters during the reign in, in, in King's Landing? So uh, we know from having read the earlier chapters, right, these were some of the ships that helped to escort Marcella. Uh, away, right, and so that would reason why they're not there unless they've returned and they're just docked somewhere. But again, there's another red flag that comes up when you don't have these really, you know, impressive ships that would normally go to battle actually engaging in in this uh, particular scene. Yeah, look, Davos is the perfect point of view character to have this battle take place in, 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 in the mind of, because he's not in charge of the whole battle and he's certainly not Stannis, who's sort of viewed as the man responsible for all the deaths that happened today. You know, it, it's his army. It's his, it's his Navy, but he's still, you get the sense that Davos is still in a position of power. He's got his sons on either side of him and they're holding a line and, you know, they're, they're really moving forward. You, you get the sense that, he could at least, you know, and he does react to the news of the Blackwater, or of, sorry, of the wildfire. He reacts to everything that they find in a manner that really is is quite honorable and is quite, you know, dignified. He he is able to guide at least his portion of the fleet. You get the sense he does have some power, oh yeah, over, and- because because of his knowledge, because of his vast years of experience on these very waters. Um, it's really fascinating to read as he points out, you know, what he sees and, and just from his mind, how, you know, which ships are which. Cause honestly, like I could read this from another point of view or I could read this from another author and I don't think I would be able to continue at all because it's, well, it's so many names, so many names. It's a lot of ships. It's a lot of action. It's such a well written chapter though, because I'll be honest with you. You know, just trying to imagine some of the stuff that's going on in this chapter is difficult because if you're not used to medieval war terms or ship terminology, and I'm being very, very basic there in my in my description, <laughs> some of it's hard to depict. You know, it, it, because uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, there there are things in there that you know that they just don't register with me right away. So I might have to go online and look it up just to kind of get a better picture of of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, but I mean Davos knows what it is, so when he's talking about it, it seems like no small thing. You know, it's no I'm big not, thing. I'm I mean, not no. Davos, though. Yeah, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. To 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 write this kind of a chapter, oh yeah, is I mean, just amazing, and the fact that he was such an integral part as well uh, in terms of writing it for the show, I, I, I it worked in the show. The the way that it it came about. Uh, was as as you've already talked about. Yeah, if if anybody if anybody could have changed it, it would have been George R. R. Martin. And I the thing is, I love you know he's going to talk about this a little later. I love both battles separately. Like the there there's something to be said about the visual about you know the entire fleet going up in in green flame. Um, you know, when they're in their surprise, Bronn shoots the arrow. You know, it's all from Tyrion's perspective. We essentially get a, a melding of of this chapter and the one that follows it, Tyrion's chapter, in, you know, the approach of the Navy and watching everything go up in flame. So the the, the TV series, and because I saw it first too and, and had no idea that this was, you know, in the book or whatever, I had no idea what was coming. You know, TV show, great. And I'm glad that George is the one who wrote that episode. And a major difference that just to – throw it out there is Stannis is already on shore uh in at this point mm-hmm. whereas i believe in the show he is he he comes ashore uh nowhere near any of the wildfire obviously but mm-hmm. we do see him fight yeah the way this is the way this chapters like the way the chapters are divided like davos is on the water and then the next chapter tyrion is on land and and it's not it doesn't really mix you know like no character goes into the water and fights a battle. Davos, I think, might be looking for land in this in this chapter. Um, well, he definitely is looking for, <laughs> for something. Yeah, a bottle yeah, of water. Yeah, pieces of a ship that's it's just amazing. Like if it floats, it's gonna float. If it doesn't float, don't grab onto it um, because it's gonna take you down. And you know, we'll talk about the carnage that's happening in this chapter. But you did mention that they did know about the wildfire, and and this is something that. Um, is also different in the TV series, I think, but it's just in more detail in the books. Sir Amory, uh, I believe that's his name anyway, uh, back on Dragonstone warned them. He's like, okay, so you guys know the Mad King, right? Mr. Fire, Mr. Hot, hot pants. Okay. He, uh, liked to play with wildfire. You're probably going to see some of that, guys. Uh, I'm going to be real with you. Um, you're going to see some wildfire, but don't worry. I'm sure that it's mostly gone. Uh, you'll probably see a couple barrels. They'll roll it out. It'll be fun. Just dodge it. Stay away from it. But they won't have that much of it. And so Davos, when he hears the cry, and this is the thing, is in the TV show, he notices and is like, wildfire! And it's too late. It's like more dramatic because it explodes, right, as he shouts. Here, the battle, that's just the beginning of the battle. You know, when somebody yells and notices wildfire, it's a long time before... Uh, Davos sees the the actual the ship that's carrying you know the huge horde of it, and so little fires are breaking out. And just describing, you know, watching Martin describe the, the wildfire, the way it behaves, is really something special. It's acidic, right? I mean, it 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 basically is all consuming, and we we obviously were able to see it on the television show, but it, it boils water that it sits on top of, like it's. It it's like it's, it's it's chemical warfare basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, napalm, um, something like that. I, I, in the next chapter, not to borrow a quote from 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 that, but it's described as um, once it's lit, no man can control it. 
no no normal regular man which implies that it requires magic that it has it really is a living breathing thing in fact it's called that either in this chapter or the next and um it it just cannot be stopped it does have a life of its own and so it's kind of magic really it's like as magic or as sentient as a potion or you know a fire could be that's wildfire and that's really what they're up against i mean joffrey's navy uh, what's left of it, what's been used in this battle, serves to draw everybody in. But of course, just like in the show, the wildfire is really the thing to stay clear of. Um, Absolutely. And I just really go back in this chapter to, I, I feel like Davos was, and it may just be because we're seeing it from his perspective, I feel as if he was underutilized because... I, you know, it's just some of the notes that I have here from throughout the course of the chapter. Early on, he's hesitant about Blackwater. He says, we are fools to meet them on the Blackwater. He's hesitant about the ship's positioning. You know, all the these great ships are in the front, and all the slow, chugging tugboats are in the back. And <laughs> tugboats. You, you, you think you'd want to leave some of your 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 great arsenal of 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 ships towards the back in case just in case something happens you know, he throws out that some of these guys are wearing armor these guys are idiots if you fall in the water you're going to kill yourself just because you're wearing stuff that's too heavy yes he he notes the chain boom and and immediately thinks they mean to draw us in but yet he doesn't know what's going to happen once they're drawn in so he doesn't react to it right away he notices the missing ships. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, just his overall knowledge of of King's Landing and everything that would have been integral to them surviving this with less casualties. I I don't know if he just didn't speak up or people didn't pay attention to him. <laughs> it, it it just seems like everything that could have helped them was within Davos's mind, yet it was untapped knowledge. Well, at the same time, it's going to happen. At the same time, it is, it, it does, this whole thing occurs within, you know, a couple minutes of them first arriving at, in the water. Like, you, you have to ask, well, okay, if Davos had alerted the rest of the fleet at that time, they may have raised the chain sooner and then gotten the wildfire to them anyway, because the chain doesn't break like at all through the course of this chapter. So, you know, maybe they would, it still would have saved lives. I'm not trying to argue that point. Um, but ultimately this battle of Blackwater had to happen. This defeat of Stannis, which is probably still a couple chapters away in the book, um, has to happen for the plot to go forward. And, and, you know, with Davos, in in there you do feel bad and and he pays the price for not being overly loud or overly cautious even then because he loses his sons in this chapter um you know or presumably there's just he's floating in the water he's like there's no way i can see if my sons are alive like it's terrifying and if he had done things a little differently or if he had you know fought or argued the point or said you know check out those towers look what they've done to them but ultimately he doesn't get any respect um by the other men you know they they still call him the onion knight a knight who who bought his night ship with an onion and he would say look at that tower you know trying to point out that they've they've actually dug water around it so it can't you can't come up to it with land and it doesn't hold this huge garrison of men but it is holding the chain 
and the chain the chain is somehow fastened to it and and he would look at that and say look at that tower and they'd be like it looks just like a tower to us you know and it's nighttime and he says normal tower shut up onion knight yeah go, and go back to your ship he gets no he gets no respect <laughs> and and the other thing that he does point out too is that the currents are favoring the Lannisters. Yeah, so that that's current now, is just tricky, man. Now what you have happening is you have been completely sealed off from the waters outside of Blackwater, and everything will now continue to drift towards that chain, and it will build up mountains of burning ships. And to think that you as an individual are now in the water and drifting towards that because... Even though he's this great swimmer, it's going to become increasingly difficult to swim against this current. <laughs> it did say that he was a good – he's like falls in the water and he's like, well, okay, I can go for miles. <laughs> but, but you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. This is the brilliance of the flow and, and I don't just mean the flow of the – because obviously because it's current. But the flow of the chapter, right? They go in. They meet. They see combat. They have the revelation. Oh, my god. Wildfire. And they get their asses kicked. But there's still this after part where, okay, now they've gone in. The current is pushing them back out. But wait, there's this chain. And so these ships are against each other, you know, against this chain. They're building up on the mouth, you know, at the mouth of this river. And God, I can just imagine the sight. It's basically like if you ever want to build a dam, just bring a bunch of ships in, have the current try and push them out, but stop them, you know, because eventually – there's just going to be so many ships piled up there. The remnants of ships, all the debris is going to be pushed right back out to this. It's basically means that if they ever want to siege Blackwater again, they can't because there's all these ships, these ruined ships there that are going to, you know, basically be a, a solid, as solid a barrier as any, at least until they drift away eventually, you know, in and, a couple and of weeks. And we did get a, um, we did get a bit of a glimpse at that in season three when Gendry and Melisandre are traveling to Dragonstone and there's ships or what's left of them below the surface of the water. So, <laughs> and speaking of Melisandre, uh, I thought it was important to kind of point out that she is not here and right. she's back on Dragonstone actually with Edric Storm. But it's not Davos's fault this time. No, but the one thing that uh, is, is part of his conscious thought is we're flying her flag. We should be flying the flag of of the House Baratheon because it mm. would be a welcome sight to the people of King's Landing. Instead, we're flying this foreign banner. You know, they could have maybe rallied some people to their cause at some point. Yeah, I would think that's that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, at, at this point, the only people who are on the shore are behind the protected walls. That was the whole point of burning everything outside the gates. You know, as well. So even if there is a detractor or something, he's not going to be able to make it to open the gate for Stannis's troops. You know, if he sees the the stag and is like, "Hey, that's cool," everybody around him is just going to pitch him over the edge. You know, like it's it's past that point. They they should have sent negotiations, perhaps secretly in the underbelly, recruited Varys or Baelish or somebody. You know, under the banner of the stag to see how many people would really you know actively rebel against the Lannisters like an inside force, that sort of thing. Um, but it's past that time. By the time they're in the water, it doesn't really necessarily matter what flag they're they're throwing because Tyrion and the Lannisters and all the people in King's Landing have prepared and have been preparing for this since the beginning of the book. 
um, and are ready to do better. Like it doesn't, the, the flaming heart, really what it, what it serves to be in this, in this chapter is ironic because all of these flaming banners actually get put up in green flame. Yeah. So who is the green lantern? <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was, as, as I've already mentioned, just a really well-written chapter to, to just have that thought process to be able to, depict a battle like this which is on sea which is at sea I should say and just has so many different ships to know you know the names of the ships and to be able to go back and forth between who's on what ship and what ships Lannister what ships Baratheon and and you know just to have this this epic battle taking place I thought was just really cool to read again you know forgetting it's been a while and and you know, having seen the, the the TV show more recently than I've read the chapter, uh, it, it just goes to show you the level of detail that that gets written in to something like this. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the ships. I do want to name some of them uh, because the names of these ships are you, just you enjoy that. They're they're I you really do. I I think it is that your own of this chapter. The ship names. Oh, geez, it could. Uh, let's see, what ship? If I had to give a sh- uh, a ship, bold laughter. Is the name of a ship? Uh, I think that that is as good a ship as any. It is a uh, just part of the fleet. Um, uh, let's see. It's destroyed when a boulder thrown from the trebuchets in King's Landing tears through its hull during the battle, according to uh, Wiki of Ice and Fire. But uh, bold laughter, swordfish, red claw, pride of driftmark, stag of the sea, sea demon, horned honor, ragged. Yeah, uh, that was the one I was going to go for. Horned honor. Horned honor. Uh, yeah. Ragged Jenna, Swift Sword, Trident Three. Let's see what else we got here. The Scepter. I mean, that's that's fairly like straightforward, right? There's one called Cat. Another Dragon's Bane, Wraith, Valyrian. Uh, <laughs> Are we gonna go into all types of theorizing? <laughs> about? But yeah, like if Lady Maria meets bad with, uh, or if like say if there were a Stark and right. uh, and then it met the ship Valyrian, and mm-hmm. we could say, oh, Ned's gonna get his head cut off by his own right. Valyrian steel sword. Perhaps it's 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 kind of a sign of things to come. I, I I think it would be funny if, you know, in a couple years down the line we're we're reading the sixth or seventh book and something happens where it was for alluded to in these ship names where they clash and they kill each other and you're like and you point it out and I'll just laugh. I, I like how uh Davos though still pointed out the fact that uh, one of Joffrey's ships called Queen Cersei was basically a pleasure boat. <laughs> jo- uh, Cersei? Okay. Jabba the Hutt had a pleasure barge, um, which he takes them all out on in Return of the Jedi. And now Queen Cersei has a pleasure barge. And that's just the connection that I make because how often do you find pleasure barges in books or, or, or media? You just don't. Um, the funny thing about Queen Cersei, I, I loved it. I saw it. I was like, that's great. Um, I think Davos makes the, the note that, <laughs> again, I'm using your word there, instead of having like fine hams on it, it instead has a bunch of knights, you know? And instead of having rare delicacies to eat, it's loaded with men and yep. it's there, it's there to do battle. And I wonder if it was just Tyrion's idea. Descent, like maybe a joke, like maybe Cersei doesn't know that he sent her barge out there, you know, to get blown up with all the other ships. It was necessary for battle. That's all he has to say at the end of the day. I really... She's not going to know. I know. And and who knows how many men it, it held, but it, it, it did do its job and it does make, you know, action in this chapter. So 
he, Tyrion, if that was him who did that, hey, you put it to better use than your sister ever could. Yeah, look, I, I mean, if we needed it, we'd have to take a carnival cruise ship uh, for our Navy <laughs> and have them, you know, turn it into what they needed it for their purposes. I, I think that that's uh, only uh, appropriate, but... You know, I think it's time right now. We we went through these names of the ship, jokingly discussing um, them being own worthy themselves. Mm-hmm. But for me, the own of this chapter, and and I went through a lot of different points throughout our discussion. It has to go to Davos's knowledge, and just touched on it even briefly. Him knowing uh, about Queen Cersei's the ship, uh, and even about him knowing the history behind Lady Lyanna and saying that that's who Robert really loved uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. How about when he talks about recognizing the hound right aboard the deck of prayer? You know, just by his his helm, he is able to know, hey, that's the hound. I know that guy. We uh, <laughs> had drinks one time and, you know, flea bottom. I don't know, making shit up. But yeah. it's just, it's cool to see somebody, and, and we've we've talked about this many times on the podcast because he is really the only character who's low born uh who we wow. perspective wise and yet low born but knows so much and is so Damn. valuable to somebody like Stannis. He is a champion of the low born, isn't he? I mean, he learns to read in all season 3, but and that's why I gave him my own, but I, I really do think he's got to be my favorite character or one you know, one of them. He's certainly more redemptive and, and, and easier to argue than Theon. Um, but, however, Micah, you, you know this. I have a rule where I do not give an own to the point of view character of a chapter. I simply, I won't do it. Um, and so my own must therefore pass down the line of succession, down the line of the river, past the current, through the current, to the chain um, anybody wanting to escape, and this is I mean, chapters and chapters ago of Tyrion's. We're on like chapter like thirteen of Tyrion. Um, but way back in chapter three or four, he's chilling with the the Smiths, and he says, uh, "You guys busy?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're fairly busy. We need to make helms for this upcoming battle. You know, may have heard of it. Stannis gonna kill us." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all good, but uh, I need him to make some chains." And he gives them the specifications, you know, a couple inches thick, this, that, real steel. And uh, I want you to do all this without my sister's knowledge, you know, just make some change. And they're like, this job sucks, but you're the hand of the king, whatever. And they do it, and they execute it. And seeing the fleet it through Davos's eyes, you know, trying to retreat, trying to live, trying to avoid the fire, which is floating towards them. Um, they can't, because this chain has been pulled up. And is sitting just a couple feet over the water. It's, it's unbelievable that that would stop a ship, like a warship. Um, but it does. And it traps everybody in and seals their fate. And pretty much, you know, there's still some concerns as we find out enough ships did board the, the, you know, the ground to cause a, a little bit of a, a, you know, still a threat to King's Landing. But for the most part, in terms of this Navy, I'm sorry, you were owned by this chain. And by the wildfire and by the Lannisters, so that's my own. Well, I think that that uh, is a great own, and I think it's also a great segue into one of the owns uh, that we received on Twitter. Yes, you guys know that we listen to uh, and collect owns from you as you are reading along with us, or even if you're not, 
and just keeping it relevant by tweeting us or any of the other methods we'll mention later. Yeah, and the uh, first own comes from Susan Stacy at Black Eyed Lily on Twitter, and she says, Clash of Kings, Chapter 58, Davos, Tyrion so owned the Battle of Blackwater with his chain trap slash wildfire attack strategy. He is the lion's hero. So Stacy agrees with you, Eric, and I have stunned you into silence. It's always nice to be agreed to with slash whatever. Or did you look ahead in the Skype conversation? I didn't look ahead in the Skype. Hey, look, I don't give it to Davos. There's, you know, I don't give it to Davos. All right. Well, uh, as it relates to this chapter, I would say definitely there's plenty of moments that are own worthy. So feel free on Twitter to send us your owns at Game of Owns and uh, we will read them on uh, Friday's episode. But we did get a few uh, as well from previous chapters, both Monday's episode with Sansa and then the episode before that, uh, which we which we did on which actually Eric and Zach did on Friday uh, for Theon. The first one. Uh, is from Jenna, at Jenna underscore Sten on Twitter, and she says, Love the show, but everyone except Micah fails at psychology. Swords are definitely phallic, especially in this instance. Well, Jenna, I don't know if if you can call somebody off or out on their uh, opinion that way, but uh, whatever, I'm going to give it to you, Kay. Swords definitely equal penis. There you go. You were right all along. Just don't ask me to kiss it. When you say it that way, it's almost like I don't want to be right. Uh, <laughs> but you said it, Micah. You got I, us into this mess. I, I did because I, I thought it was a uh, suggestive scene. Well, I, I, I think if Joffrey – well, it's Joffrey. Yeah. I should have agreed with you on Monday. I'm going to write that down on my uh, time turner log, all the things I would change. Thank God we didn't have any mast jokes be made in this chapter. They all sailed sails down because uh, they just wanted, uh, they didn't want their sails to go up in flame. The next own uh, was given to us via Facebook. This is from Jennifer Christian, who says, I have been listening to the audiobook at work, courtesy of Audible, and my own goes to the reader, Roy Dotris. He read slash sang the hymn in this chapter, and the pacing of the lyrics made it sound like... Deck the Halls. Yes, actually, Jennifer, I do and did notice this and didn't bring it up on Monday's episode. You are absolutely right. Um, as Sansa is uh, in the Sept, just before the Battle of Blackwater, uh, they do sing I, – I forget what the name of the song, but uh, Roy Dattress in the audiobook does sing it to Deck the Halls. I think it took me out of it a little bit, but if you want to give it an own, hey, that's your right. Um, and Bethany Edwards <laughs> agrees – Bethany Edwards agrees – uh, all over and says Roy Dotras owns thrones. And I have, I have to agree, you know, when I first started the audiobook 60 something chapters ago, I was thinking, wow, this must be a daunting task for anybody to read, let alone read alone or out loud, you know, and, and all the voices. But Roy does a good job and actually does a, a well, he's a, paid to do that. Uh, yeah. And uh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'll stop giving him screen time, <laughs> screen time, but you know, he's, that he's that good. He's, no, he's done them. Well, I'm he saying gets he's a little uh, green for what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's done. He's content. And from what I know, he's done the later books. So, uh, I just have to say that, uh, audio, audio books are a very acceptable way 
to read along with us, guys, listeners, for those of you who are not, and then you can partake in these wonderful owning sessions that happen at the end of each of our episodes. And uh, another way that uh, you can reach us is via email, contact at gameofbones.com, and Beth Meyer did just that. Beth, our friend out in Colorado who writes in very frequently, also about the Sansa chapter, she says, I think Sansa earned some owns from this chapter. First, for the large amounts of snark that she is dishing out internally, but is too wise to say. For example, better to kiss a hundred swords than to kiss Joffrey. Second, for finally seeing the value in Tyrion and the Hound, saying prayers for them in the Sept, and wishing for Sandor Illin in the Hall. Runners-up are Shay and Felice for frog-marching the unwilling <laughs> and probably large lawless into the hall. So, Beth from Colorado, where winter is most emphatically here. Uh, winter's here too, my guy. I had to dig my car out. Did I say that on the last show? Well, I, it, it snowed quite a bit here in New York today as well. Yeah, I don't know about this whole winter, winter is being here thing. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, Micah, your camel... Is a little snowy. Yeah, well, he's like that year-round, so <laughs> I don't know why you're just picking up on that now. I don't but know. But I would imagine that if if I had been in New York today, I was not. I was actually in New Jersey working today. If I was oh, I'm in sorry. New York uh, and I had walked down uh, 51st Street, I would have indeed seen Winter Coup, much like you are seeing um, my Facebook uh, – not my Facebook, my Skype uh, profile picture there. Well, you know, I can tell you that uh, it will be a while before we hear uh, from Theon again, uh, but uh, he lives on in the listenership, uh, in the mind of our listenership, because we do have an own from last Friday's uh, Theon chapter. Uh, this was written as an email to us by uh, Susan, who is, uh, as she says, a faithful fan. She says, just finished listening to uh, the Theon episode. Nice job. I really enjoyed your discussion. I believe I even heard Eric say he understood why people dislike Theon. Yes, you did hear that, um, but I won't give you a timestamp. You're going to have to find it again. Uh I wanted to add something that you may or may not have thought of in relation to these newest Theon revelations. Could the Miller's sons have even been Theon's own children? We can tell by the chapter that Theon slept with the Miller's wife more than once, it just gives another level of twisted to Theon's actions here and, of course, to Reek. I'm not a Theon fan, but I do sympathize with his identity struggle between the Starks raising him, but being a Greyjoy and not truly fitting in either place. Alfie Allen's performance really adds insight and depth to Theon's character, yet no matter what one's opinion is of Theon, no one deserves the punishment he undergoes. I completely agree. Uh, I'm curious to learn where George R. R. Martin will take Theon by the end, his capacity to reverse the reader's feelings about characters is amazing and should say something about our tendency to judge and classify individuals based on superficial information. Please keep up your entertaining podcast and I'll keep listening. Faithful fan Susan Stacy, a.k.a. Black Eyed Lily. You know, something about that at the end, though. I don't think people are judging Theon based on superficial information. To be fair, I think they're basing him on their on his actual actions. On the fact actions. that he's an asshole. Well, uh, no, 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 no. no, no his, I agree with you. On his I, actions, the things he yeah, does which... are abhorrent. The, the, and, 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 you know, the first part of her, when she asks... It is our choices, Theon. Could they be his kids... That he's burning. I mean, I think, especially in the books, he's young. 
And I think he's a little young for his kids to be eight or nine. I'm not saying it's not possible. He doesn't have children. I'm sure that that well, the younger one could have been his. Let's face it. No, I'm <laughs> I mean, uh, if... I don't know. It's 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 definitely it's one of those things that you could certainly think about, and it, and it it it's cause for conversation on some level. I think, but at the end of the day, I'd probably uh, look to venture on the safe side and say that they're not. Um, not to burst anybody's bubble. But. Still, it would have been cool and definitely proximity-wise, you're right. That That's certainly uh, plausible. We did get another tweet here is actually from Beth who we just read her email not too long ago. She tweeted in about the Theon episode this time and she said as it related to the sister visitor, did it occur to you that had Theon taken bodies to the crypt – He'd have found Brandon Rickon hiding there, <laughs> and no, it didn't. And that's a really great point. Wait, are they not? Did they never leave Winterfell at all? I think that they did. I want to say that they like backtracked and then backtracked. Oh, okay. Because I, I think at one point, I don't know if this was revealed on, our, on one of our podcasts yet. Lines do tend to blur, um, but it reminds me of that story we read in the mountains about the the Bard. Uh, who who just stayed in the crypts for literally nine months or eleven or thirteen months, as it were? Um, you know, with his his wife, the the heir of Winterfell, um, they were able to survive down there. And although I think Bran and Rickon were probably not in the crypts, it's another one of those funny things that we like to think about. That if Theon had given the the, the boys their their proper burial, he would have probably or possibly. Located the boys at, at that point, though they they would be in the crypts, so he would have found them. And I think that that's a bit of irony that he basically, uh, you know, he has that dream just in time, so that he's, uh, you know, he's so scared that he refuses to go down there and give them the proper burial. Yeah, that that's convenient. And isn't it isn't it Mister Lewin who suggests that? So. I think at this point he mustn't be in on doesn't, it. He's not in on what's going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, because oh my that gosh. would have been a really big mistake on his part. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Right. One final tweet here is from Karina Garcia, and she says, "My dearest Game of Owns, I miss you. Got a new job that doesn't allow your voices in my ear holes. But <laughs> you and Game of Thrones are always on my mind." I, Karina, I hate to break it to you. You need to find another job. <laughs> yeah, you just got a new one. But Karina, it's a sign. Karina, you listen to us. It's a sign, and uh, you need to just to just read the sign. We, yes. we won't we won't guide you any further. I think we touched on all the outlets here, didn't we? Yeah, she gave us a big, great beating heart too at the end. Thank you, Karina, for that. You know, I I think that's it. I think we did absolutely touch on each of the outlets, but just in case uh, you wanted the appropriate addresses, we will give them to you now. On Twitter, you can tweet at us uh, your owns or just in general what's going on with yourself, twitter.com slash Game of Owns. On Facebook, which we did, uh, we read uh, some stuff about Sansa on there. You go to facebook.com slash Game of Owns. And uh, our email address is contact at gameofowns.com. Yes, and one other way that you can leave us some feedback is by going on over to iTunes and leaving a rate and review. It is the month of December, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And we did get some great reviews. I might read one or two of them here before the end of the show. We have surpassed, thank you to our listeners, 200 reviews. And that was a goal uh, on Monday's episode. So thank 
all of you guys for all of your reviews, everybody who's reviewed the show. It really is a great way uh, for other people who are interested in Game of Thrones discussion beyond what's just in the books and uh, on the TV screen uh, for everybody to have a place where they can continue that discussion. And so we like that you guys are willing to go out there and let others know that we exist. Uh, So thank you for that. Let me read one review here uh, from Red Alert, which reminds me actually of, never mind. Uh, What does it remind you of? It reminds me of uh, Reddington from The Blacklist, which is a great show. If people haven't watched it yet, Eric, I know you have not watched it yet. Please go. uh, For for me, Red Alert reminds me of Jonathan Frakes on The Next Generation of Star Trek going, Red Alert! Well, Um, here's the great thing is that it's the the Blacklist has had its fall season finale. It'll be back in January. So you you have a couple of weeks uh, before the new year to – to watch the show and get caught up. So, um, well, between Blackwater and Blacklist, you've yeah, you've heard it see, all. Yeah, tied it all together. Yeah, for, there you go. No, I tied it together. So, Just read the review. <laughs> you you read the. Re- <laughs> yeah, you did tie it together. Yeah. All right. Uh, Red says, "I love the podcast. I first started listening with the Christian Nairn interview this past summer, Hodor and I've been hooked ever since." What's that? Oh, I said I said Hodor Week, but it turns out it was the second interview that we did. Was, with yeah. Yeah. So uh, not Hodor Week. I went back and started listening to the beginning of the reread for book two, as well as the new shows. Uh-huh. Once I caught up, I went back to the very beginning and I'm making my way to the present. Everything is amazing from the legend of Zelda references to guest spots from different people to the loud timer through the wall. Well, <laughs> Eric actually, that was one episode. Was it two episodes or was it yeah. one episode? I think it I came back. We probably talked about it on more than one episode. Though. Yeah. 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 But the train, uh, however, I know is probably on more, uh, to Sam from North of the wall. So yeah, we have to get Sam back on the show sometime soon. Uh, and how can we forget everyone's favorite candy camel balls? Uh, I love the show and I'm anxious to see what is still to come. So, Thank you, Red. Uh, we appreciate it. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't imagine um, just going backwards in time through podcasts and g- getting caught up. Like, thank you so much. But also, that's cool that it's a, you know you were able to that it entertains you and that you were able to to do it. That's a massive undertaking, even for us, which we're at 176 episodes now. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and uh, we thank you for you know, taking that initiative and going back and listening. That way. Oh, and also you owe us 175 owns. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Start emailing now. If anybody does do a a, a review or something, I, well, no, maybe it's a little self-serving to ask them to give us owns uh, for the episodes. But um, but keep it in mind all the same. If, if something stands out as being ex- especially insightful, uh, you know, we like we like to hear. It. Write another review saying these guys got it right. Um, or something, but yes, thank you for everything you've already done for our egos um, yes. and for our iTunes review. Thank you. We did get uh, another review here from Ram D twenty seven who says in his title, "Is it Ram D Bolton?" To... <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing less than five stars is acceptable for this great show. And jokingly starts out, "I'm honestly just writing to see, writing this to see if you actually do read all of these on air." <laughs> But yeah, the show is really good. Hosts have excellent camaraderie, etc. I actually started to reread the series to keep up with the chapter discussion, and this podcast makes the series at least ten times more enjoyable. Wow! Thank you, 
my lords. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ramdy. Thank you, Ram. Ramdy. And one final review, and the only reason why I'm going to do it, and we're going to save the others uh, until Friday's episode, is because this is the 200th review uh, <gasps> that we've received. And so thank you to Hodor and Brienne's love child. <laughs> it better not just be like, what does she always say, my lady? And then he says Hodor's and be like, Hodor, my lady. Um, yeah. No, what is it? Like, I can't wait. Title is Awesomeness for Your Ear Holes. Three exclamation points. Uh, I start, this is great because I think almost every one of these has had to do with rereading. I started rereading the books when I deployed in September, uh, and found goo through winnerscoming.net. Love the commentary so much. I downloaded all 150 plus previous episodes and have been listening to them at 1.5 times speed, <laughs> which I did just yesterday. Uh, fantastic hosts and guests, a perfect podcast companion for the books and TV series. Well, first of all, we hope, uh, you know, that you are safe wherever you are, knowing that you have been deployed uh, and that you do return home as soon as possible. And you were obviously, you know, grateful for your service. And no matter what country that's for, it could be for any country. I'm just, you know, don't want to assume that it's uh, for the U S right. But that's awesome. Regarding the one and a half speed. <laughs> I think accidentally I did that once. Uh, we were, I was re-listening to, I think it was a Wednesday episode a couple weeks ago and, I I knew something was wrong. I was like, oh crap, did something go wrong in the editing room? And it was just that I had uh butt punched um one and a half speed on the podcast player. And you know, it's it's a, just a, it's a different show entirely. So Yes. We all sound like like Selena, even me. Yeah, yeah. Uh um, which is something to hear. So definitely everybody should yeah. be playing with your phone and doing that. No, actually that's just mean that that's actually uh Sam just takes over and does all the voices for everybody <laughs> on the show. But uh, you know, they mentioned winnerscoming.net. That's also a great place uh, not only to download and listen to this podcast and to leave your comments, but also just to find out uh, any and all news related uh, to the Game of Thrones TV show as well as a Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, they do an amazing job, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some of them on this podcast in the not-so-distant future. Again. Yes, it's a fantastic website uh, to discuss everything Game of Thrones, and apparently the Hobbit Desolation of Smog as well. Uh, we want to give mad props to uh, all the people on the Kiss My Blade forum who are, instead of talking about Monday's episode of this podcast, are talking about Smog, actually. Um, Dolores Ned, for instance, the first comment on this post from Monday's episode smog <laughs> and then Aegon says i want a trailer now and then hodor's bastard says so how do you pronounce smog is it like smog or smog or smag or rodon or gecko and chaos uh, cave troll chaos yes that was just the beginning and so hey even when you guys aren't talking on uh, about game of owns or game of thrones or us it's a good community we are thrilled to be a part of it and we are thrilled that winter is coming hosts us and uh, you guys should definitely check out that website at winteriscoming.net. I think that about wraps up this episode. I mean, I had a lot of fun uh, talking Davos and talking Blackwater, but we'll get to do it all over again on Friday's episode with Tyrion <laughs> from a different perspective, obviously. It's true. But yeah. I mean, a lot of these, uh, these chapters, um, you know, I'd say two of the, uh, so the two of the last four actually 
have kind of left us in suspense wondering, uh, you know, with Catalan, does she kill Jamie? Davos, what's his fate? We're, we're presumed to be dead at this point. Uh, so it's, uh, it's getting close to the end of this book and, uh, I look forward to uh, Friday's episode. Yeah, me as well. And it looks like we'll be in Blackwater um, well into next week as well. Uh, fascinatingly enough, this may be getting a little ahead of us because usually I do it on Friday episodes. But um, after the Tyrion uh, chapter, which we have next and we'll be reading on Friday, we have uh, Sansa and then Tyrion and then Sansa again. Uh, so, and this is all during the the bottle uh, the, the battle of Blackwater. The bottle of the Blackwater. bottle of Blackwater. It was bottleneck. It was a bottleneck. That's tonight. the bottle um, of uh, potion in the Ocarina of Time that you can never quite get, but always wanted because it gave you like super magic and extra heart. See, if you um, could never get it, how do you know what it does? Because it doesn't exist. I you you made it up, so I I just inserted it into the game, even though. It's not real. Oh, like the missing no Pokemon. Uh, exactly. For all of those who remember that from Pokemon Red and Black. Uh, right, we're gonna we're gonna re- let these people rest their ear holes. Yes, 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 they, yes. They won't be able to listen to us on Friday. Uh, yes, go catch a missing no. Uh, we'll see you on Friday. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Denbo. Cinnabar Island. You just gotta uh, take your Lapras and teach it surf, and then go off. I actually forget the process. I gotta look it up. Uh, well, you do that. And I'll see you Friday. See you Friday. <laughs>